Hi, this is Jill Jarris. From September 2017 through April 2020, this podcast was known as Olympic Fever. We've since changed its name to keep the flame alive, but we're committed to keeping our back catalog available to you. So please keep the name change and this disclaimer in mind as you listen to it. Olympic is a trademark of the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee, or USOPC. Any use of Olympic in the Olympic Fever podcast is strictly for informational and commentary purposes. The Olympic Fever podcast is not an official podcast of the USOPC. The Olympic Fever podcast is not a sponsor of the USOPC, nor is Olympic Fever associated with or endorsed by the USOPC in any way. The content of Olympic Fever podcast does not reflect the opinions, standards, views, or policies of the USOPC, and the USOPC in no way warrants that content featured in Olympic Fever is accurate. Thanks for listening, and now on to the show. It, it, sometimes it's it's almost comical to see a, a grown man or woman sitting there admonishing this this ginormous athlete with a finger wag, like, no, <laughs> no. I was like, I do that to, to some of these people. They're going to look at me and just smack me. Mesdames et messieurs. The greatest festival of our contemporary society, the Olympic Games, is about to begin. This is going to be close. Oh! You can do it! You can do it! Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant! But that is an Olympic champion. Ready? Hello and welcome to another episode of Olympic Fever. I am your host, Jill Jarris, joined as always by my lovely co-host, Allison Brown. Allison, hello. How are you today? Hello, I'm well. How are you doing? I'm doing well. You know, I'm excited today, as always, because we are talking a new a sport that I don't watch a whole lot of, but I'll watch it during the Olympics and then I get a little confused. So today <laughs> it's getting explained for me and that makes me very happy. <laughs> I know absolutely nothing. Okay. So I started working on this. So okay. this is all new to me. Okay, excellent. Well, today we are talking wrestling and we've got with us Jason Bryant to explain how the sport works. Jason has been doing public address announcing for 24 years for a variety of sports, but most notably he's a wrestling announcer and he has announced at many high profile events, including the world champs and NCAA division three and division one national champs the 2016 U.S. Olympic team trials, and the, this lucky dog was also the English in-house announcer at the 2016 Olympics in Rio. And along with wrestling, he wrestling announcing, he runs Matt Talk Online, a news and podcasting platform for a number of wrestling shows, including his own short-time wrestling podcast. So take a listen and learn more about freestyle wrestling and Greco-Roman wrestling. Okay, Jason, let's start by talking about the different types of wrestling and what's involved in the sport. So let's start with freestyle because that's the one that both men and women compete in. Freestyle is more similar to what you'll see on the high school mats and the college mats in the United States, even though they are different. Uh, you'll see leg attacks. You'll basically freestyle as the name in first pretty much anything goes with the exception of obviously things like hair pulling and, and things of that nature where that are pretty much illegal across all sports. But freestyle is, you know, you're, you're attacking, it's quick, it's fast paced. Uh, you score two points for takedowns, much like the college and in, in, in high school wrestling you see in the United States. Control isn't such a thing like in college and in high school wrestling, you're looking to pin your opponent to the mat and turn them and hold them there. And, and you get 
credit for control in in freestyle wrestling, and you'll see this too with Greco Roman. It's about exposure, back exposure. If your back goes to the mat more than a ninety degree angle, that is points. So, uh, and you get bigger points for higher amplitude of throws and risks. So, uh, if I'm standing on my feet and I'm going to try to throw you right to your back, you're going to get four points for that. Uh, in Greco Roman, for example, you, or actually, you'll also get a five. And uh, if you back arch through and you see, like, you've seen the logo where, like, it looks like the guy's being suplexed through the air. That's also a big five-point grand amplitude. So, uh, basically, it's simple scoring. You get one point for a step out. If you drive your opponent out of bounds, that's one point. Uh, a little element that people like to say it's sumo there, but it's a little more than just pushing and shoving. Like, if you if you straight push somebody out, you're not going to get a point. They, they don't. They want to award action. So, takedowns, turns, any type of exposure. So, uh, it, it, it's really simple in, in explanation, but the one thing you learn about international wrestling is there are nuances because you can actually score sequences at the same time. If I am turning my opponent to his back with with like a, a gut wrench, would you lock your arms around their body and try to turn them over and they hold you there, they can score two points by putting you on your back even though it's your action. So that becomes uh, one of the funky things of, of nuanced scoring where you can have a situation where a red wrestler and a blue wrestler each score two points at the same time. And you're like, wait a minute, what? So that's one thing that, that people need to understand is that freestyle wrestling, scoring can come in bunches. And sometimes there's questions. There's three officials for a mat. So two of those three officials have to agree on a call. And oftentimes they don't. And it leads to lengthy review processes too. So, uh, and that was one thing like historically that could lead to p potential like if he calls and it's like how did how does how does everybody in the arena see the video and these three guys don't see it the same way so uh, scoring wise it's it's basically it's turns and takedowns and, and penalty points it's really at its base level very simple in that regard. Okay, so when you pin somebody, do you have to pin them on their back or can it be on their stomach or how, do, how the, does the, it, and yeah, how long does it have to be? In international wrestling, you're Shoulders have to be flat for one second. So okay. you have to put them to their back for one second. There is no commonly uh, you'll hear people that remember watching wrestling from like the 80s and 90s. There was something called a touch fall. Like if you threw somebody to their back and they they planted and then came off that you would see the referee throw up the hand for, for a touch fall. Touch fall does not exist. It actually says this explicitly in the rule book that there is no such thing as a touch fall. You actually have to have a controlled situation where putting your opponent's shoulders to the mat for a fall to be confirmed. So uh, it is it is your back shoulders. It's a little similar to college and Olympic level rest, uh, college and high school wrestling. Uh, you'll see them probably called a little quicker because once they hit flat, boom, all right, done. Okay. So uh, they're, they're pretty liberal with calling them in some, some cases too. And then Greco-Roman, what's the difference? The Greco-Roman wrestling uh, – other than some nuances with how passivity, which uh, we like to use in, in, in American nomenclature, is stalling okay. or, or negative wrestling is terms they like to use. Greco-Roman is from the waist up. So you can only attack from the waist up. So anything that goes below the legs. Now, you can establish position with the legs. Like you can stand on the mat and like this is where my leg is. And, you know, there is incidental contact. But if you're intentionally moving your opponent with your legs or blocking their attempts with by throwing your hand up to to stop their leg from coming through. I mean, th those are all penalty points. So, uh, or offensive legs or things of that nature. They're cautions and attentions are the, the terminology they use. So, yeah, it's all upper body. A lot of lot of in inside hand fighting. You see a lot of uh, wrestling purists will look at it and be like, that is the pure 
part of wrestling because it's 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 a fight. It's in here. You'll see a lot of uh, MMA fighters have Greco-Roman wrestling backgrounds because basically you're you're in a short. I mean, it's short offense. You're not necessarily not really punching, but there is definitely some some hard head slaps and clubs that go on in there. It's really fighting and jockeying for control. And in some situations, because the legs cannot be used to defend, you're looking at the opportunity for a high amplitude throw. Somebody that a high amplitude throw is when you lift somebody from the mat and put them through the air in a high arcing range motion. Uh, you, you know it when you see it. That's a five point move. That is like the grand slam of, of wrestling and international wrestling is the five pointer. So uh, they're rare to see now, but you know because you can't hook the leg with your leg to defend somebody from throwing you over top of their head. Uh, you see, you see a lot of things. You take a ride. If you've, you've seen the old footage of Alexander Karelin, mm-hmm. uh, the great Russian super heavyweight and Greco-Roman, he had a reverse lift that would people would fear so much they would they would like nope nope I'm just gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm not gonna get thrown by this because they were afraid of it. So uh, Greco-Roman in, in its most simplicity is just no attacks below the legs. Okay, so when you uh, excuse me talk about penalty points, how do you score? Pe- how do you get penalties? In either either discipline, most of those are the same. In in freestyle wrestling, if you are running out of bounds, if you are fleeing action, they will use the, okay. the fling. They'll hold their arm out 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 this way, and they will throw their hands up and say caution. And in freestyle, it's one point, caution and one. And sometimes there is caution in two. It depends on the situation. Like if you're fleeing off your back, if you're on your back and you are like literally crawling out of bounds on your back, you're going to get caution for that. Uh, so that'll be a penalty point. You know, hair pulling or interlocking of the fingers is something they want. They want people to wrestle from a, a tie versus like just interlocking the fingers and keeping your opponent from trying to maintain some type of offensive attack. So they'll 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 warn you. They go attention, and I, they do the international sign of admonishment. They wag their finger, and because English is an official language with the international wrestling community, so it's like you'll hear usually like a French guy or somebody be like, no, no, you know, it's like it's just. <laughs> And they do the finger wag. And it's like nothing. It, it, sometimes it's it's almost comical to see a, a grown man or woman sitting there admonishing this this ginormous athlete with a finger wag. Like, no, no. I was like, I do that to, to some of these people. They're going to look at me and just smack me. But uh, so penalty points in that situation, illegal moves such as biting, grabbing parts of the body you're not supposed to grab, um, like the hair and other. You can probably use your imagination for the rest of it. But, you know, and then there's if you flee the mat, like a caution is the penalty point. That's the terminology. So if you're fleeing and you're backing straight out, they can hit you for that. Three of those, you're disqualified. Okay. So there are situations, it doesn't happen very often in freestyle anymore, but sometimes you see it where somebody just basically quits and they're just being kind of pushed right out and there's no resistance to get back in the center of the circle. And you'll see the wrestling mat has this colored ring on the, on the mat surface. That is called the zone. So if you're in that zone, the referee is going to be like zone blue or zone red because you are wearing a red or a blue singlet. And they will tell you if you don't you don't make an effort to get back into the competition area, which is the center, uh, the center wrestling area. And you go straight out into what is called the protection area, which is beyond the zone. Then they can ding you for a caution. If action drives you out of bounds, you're going to get hit with a a you're going to get hit with a, a step out because your opponent drove you out of bounds and you were fighting the position. So if you make no effort or if you just straight run out, that's another penalty point. So. Uh, you see most of the disqualifications on the freestyle side with penalty points in terms of somebody that's probably just bagged it. They're done. They got nothing left and they just want to get off the mat. And Greco-Roman a little differently because passivity is something that without leg attack, sometimes you're looking for points to score. I mean, some of these guys are so evenly matched. They're such high level athletes. It's like, well, somebody's got to score. I mean, you don't have zero zero matches. You can't. So after after a minute, they're going to they're going to warn somebody for passivity. 
Like, you're not scoring. You need to score. Blue, action. Action, blue. Action, red. You'll hear the referees mic'd up at the Olympics. And then nothing happens. Then they'll the second passivity call will be a point. And so it's like every other one will be a point. So uh, they'll usually go back and forth in determining which wrestler. And if somebody's straight passive, they can be hit. If they're just straight back, and I'm just I'm going to hang out here. I'm going to block with my head. I'm I'm going to do things that really makes wrestling boring. They call that negative wrestling. They they can get a hit uh, with multiple passivities, and those are penalty points in Greco-Roman. Wow, because and and then that can just like they decide who's being more passive than the other person. Yep. Yep, and that's sometimes a point of contention, which, again, has been a bit of a black mark in some cases against international wrestling and how uh, officials have called it. And I think they've been a lot more transparent lately, uh, especially since 2013. But it, it's still it's still one of those things where American wrestling fans, we typically – well, I, I think American sports fans in general love love to distrust a referee. Mm-hmm. You know, That's probably <laughs> why we're seeing so few – you know, youth officials. Uh, I, I don't know about the uh, the roller derby community. We'll, d- oh, we'll yeah. discuss that later. But that I think that's that's a that's a quality official situation. <laughs> we get we get to you know, oh, these refs are paid off, or these refs are this, or these refs are, are looking for their countrymen and, and things of that nature. And yeah, I mean, historically, there's been some some bad bad situations mm-hmm. with wrestling about that. But uh, ultimately, the rules are in place so the athletes decide who wins the match. If you're not wrestling. You're not going to win the match. You, you, okay. you, it's just not going to happen. So uh, basically, benefits is, well, well, why'd you let the referee get to it? Score points. Win. Right. Simple. And and how long is a match? Six minutes. Six it is minutes. two to three-minute periods. And two, that is for, okay. for all, all, all gender cumulative scoring. And when we, t- we touch on the, uh, the, the issues in, around 2013 and getting wrestling back to the Olympics, there, there are some bad – I'm going to confuse you so bad with these rules – that, okay. Imagine what wrestling people were thinking about this. So the, the old rule systems from 05 to 13 were terrible. They were they're terrible, as, as Mr. Mr. Barkley would say. That they were so bad. And uh, the, what we've got now is more in line with sports. Now, one thing that's also interesting is there is no overtime. If a score, if a match is tied, and this is kind of a point of contention for me personally, because one of the most amazing things I think in sports is is sudden is what we call in college wrestling sudden victory. It's not sudden death. It's sudden victory. You score, you win. Boom. Instantaneous victory. Arms shoot through the air. Uh, you know, in 2004, uh, was it 2000, when Brandon Slay won the Olympics, and he did it in overtime, beating uh, Bovasia Satiev of Russia, and it did it in overtime. Well, under those, this rule system we have now, it wouldn't happen. So if a score – now, this is where we, we might just, okay, buckle in, calm down. Okay, you've got a 6-6 six, six match. Six minutes are on the clock. The match is over. Who wins? Wait, 6-6, six, six, who wins? Well, in international wrestling, they have this thing called criteria. And because they don't want overtime, because they run a lot of these tournaments in one day, and now they've changed the format to the finals or at least the second day. But you're still going back-to-back-to-back matches. They don't want matches going 15, 20 minutes and then coming back 15, 20 minutes later wrestling another match, whereas a guy went out and, and beat somebody in, in 35 seconds has been waiting for 30 minutes to wrestle. So uh, in, in a 6-6 six, six situation, for example, and if the match is tied, the wrestler with the highest scoring move will have the criteria. So oh, wow. I've scored a four-point move, and I've scored a two-point move, and my opponent has scored three two-point moves. The wrestler with a four-point action has the tiebreaker. They they will win the match. So, And this is also indicated by, if you're watching at home, you'll see an underline on the scoreboard. So if the match is tied at any point throughout the course, this is one thing that International Wrestling and, and OBS, the Olympic Broadcasting Service, and, and those – who work with United World Wrestling and, and their bracketing have really made a point to is if a match is ever tied, there's always going to be a, a designator on the screen, whether it's the scoreboard on the mat 
or on on the television stream or, or the web stream that indicates this wrestler has criteria. And as an announcer, I'll get into that is is that's something I've also got to be on top of too, because depending on where you're sitting, can you see that underline? So frequency of scoring moves, and if those are even, you go to who has the least amount of cautions. And oh, wow. if you know, so then and if those you know that's not an issue, then last point scored. Okay. So if it's one to nothing and you score a step out with two seconds to go and tie the score one one, guess what? You scored last. You're gonna win. Wow. Okay. That's interesting. It's interesting yes. that they say okay. And, if and what's this, interesting then this. about it, yeah. What's what's funny is what's interesting about it too is it's actually led to a lot more action at the buzzer. You know, people aren't sitting there going, all right, six six ten seconds to go. We'll just coast it and do this thing in overtime. The guy who's losing. 90% of the time is going to know he's losing. Now, there are some situations where the wrestler didn't know he was down on criteria and, and wasn't making any attacks. And, uh, you know, it's it, you see a lot of a lot of action towards the last part of the match. You People run around. And, of course, one of the big things in, in 2016 was a protest from some Mongolians in a situation that happened at the end of a match. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's basically tie-breaking in wrestling. And, and one thing that I, I know that wrestling – fans or Olympic fans are going to get out of any Olympic experiences. NBC has really done a really good job in putting wrestling knowledgeable people on a broadcast. So uh, John Smith, who won six world Olympic titles in a row uh, in the eighties and nineties, he's currently the head coach at Oklahoma state. He has, uh, he was the color commentator for the last Olympiad and then the last Olympic cycle. And he was there with Jason Knapp who does work for ESPN. He's done work for the PAC 12 network. He, he's done a lot of stuff for NBC for wrestling. So you've got knowledgeable people explaining these rules as they happen uh, from a viewer standpoint. So uh, while I take care of that in the, in the venue, it's nice that, you know, NBC has definitely picked up these folks that, that know wrestling and can actually explain it. And John's from Oklahoma. So he might tell you a little bit. It might be a little less. He might get the takedowns here. And that's two points. He's going to take his opponent, roll him. He's going to get two on the exposure. So pardon with my apologies to John Smith, who is half my size, but still scares me to death. So you mentioned challenges or protests. How yes. many people get challenges and they have to throw a soft object because that was kind of a deal at Rio where they I threw the that. mascot I... into the ring <laughs> yeah, to challenge. What's the deal with that? Okay, so the challenge bricks are red and blue for each corner, and then mm -hmm. the officials have a white one like to stop the clock if, if the match chairman says, hey, time's out, and they throw the, the white brick. So each wrestler has one challenge per match. If red wrestler says, no, I scored that two points, or he stepped out first, that he's going to probably look over at his corner, and the coach is going to throw the brick. And they will then go to a jury of appeal. So these are, these are not the officials that were on the mat. This will be a second set of officials off to the side. Okay. We'll watch the video and score the sequence. If the wrestler who threw the brick wins, it says, yes, you're right. You should get that point. They get the challenge back. Mm -hmm. If they lose, they lose a point. Oh, wow. They lose a challenge. Yeah. So you have to be very aware of when you're throwing that challenge. If you're up by a point and uh, like, no, I need, I need that challenge, lose that challenge. You could lose a match by throwing a brick. <laughs> your coach throws at the wrong time. So uh, one challenge per match, and if you if you win it, you keep it. And that's basically the point. And the reason they, they install the the point for losing a challenge is they don't want people gaming it. So like, oh, okay. no, a challenge, oh, nothing. And stopping action, you know. They're also right. yellow carding, uh, similar to soccer coaches. If they throw a challenge brick in a situation where their wrestler is going to be scored on and they're doing it just to stop the action where it, it's clear that, like, no, you're doing this to stop the action. They're gonna they're gonna hit the coach with a yellow card too. So, the the challenges again are, are one per match, and then you don't get to carry them over per match either. It's once once the match starts, that's what you got. And again, if you lose it, you lose a point. 
Okay, and then yellow cards. How does that work? Then if uh, they get same a yellow cards. Okay. Yeah. Two yellows is a red. You're out. You, okay. you usually you don't see them that often. It's okay. mainly like when it, when a coach is irate and refuses to get down off of the the podium because it's also one of the international wrestling rules is the one coach in a corner and then there's like another coach off to the back and they will often like shush the other coach if he's even standing up and they'll tell the coach to sit down in the corner and it's like it's come on <laughs> you know it's a race platform some of these guys are short they need to stand up <laughs> gotcha okay but so, as far as the mm -hmm. fluffy thing the yes, uh the, yes. the challenge brick. so normally it's supposed to be a brick now at the junior world championships a couple years ago in finland uh, the company that created Angry Birds is a Finnish company. Okay. So at the Junior Worlds one year, they, or it might have been the Europeans, they brought out a red Angry Bird and a blue Angry Bird and used them for challenge bricks. And I'm sitting there watching, and I was like, there's an Angry Bird. Next time I, I, hear, I see one thrown out there, and I'm just going, because I've, I've played Angry Birds. <laughs> like, you know. So other places have gotten fun with it, like it, even at the U.S. Nationals and Greco and Women Nationals in 2012. That in Texas, which was just in the shadows of the ballpark at Arlington at a convention center there, some of the referees down in Texas had a blue pillow pet with the Dallas Cowboys and a red one for the Texas Rangers and put those as challenge bricks. And then in the Olympics, they used Venetius, the mascot. Um, the Angry Birds has kind of been probably the most prevalent. Um, sometimes well, you know, it's a great sponsor opportunity. I think that's why Finland did use them that year. And I, I, the World Championships last year, uh, they, they used Effie which was their mascot. It was like a big blue Eiffel Tower. Okay. And um, it looked like a blue. It was a cool mascot. I mean, the, I, I didn't have a problem with it because internationally, you know, the Americans looking at goofy mascots is like an event. It was like, eh, internationally, they love it. So, I mean, yeah, Effie looked like a big giant blue poop emoji. But, <laughs> I mean, it was a big hit. I was looking to try to snag one of those those challenge bricks, but they were they were gone by the time I, I tried to get one to bring home to my kids. Far out. So, Women don't compete in Greco-Roman. Why is Correct. that? Uh, there is a grassroots movement here in the U.S. to get women wrestling Greco. It's it's just, I hate to say this as an answer, but I think it's just the way it's always been done. Okay. Um, you know, the, the development of women's wrestling has only been around since like the late 80s. So we are in, let's see, 4, 8, 12, 16, going into our fifth Olympiad. The 2004 games were the first time women's wrestling was, was an Olympic sport, but there really wasn't worldwide that's where a lot of the development is you're seeing a lot of the african countries focus on women's wrestling and i think from a developmental standpoint getting one style flush before you move to okay. another style might be uh one of the rationales but I, I think some of the old old time was was before women even wrestled it was and then women start wrestling well just freestyle because they're they're the depth isn't there i think to support two styles yet Okay. Uh, but again, if you build it, they will come, so to speak. So, I mean, we've run some women's Greco tournaments at the youth level here, and they've been they've been good. But I, I think the the freestyle, the, the depth of women's wrestling, I think needs to improve. Not Im the depth is improving. Okay. The, the numbers with that depth, I think there has to be a demand for it beyond you know the the top one percent of it. So that's right. um, as far as why. Like I said, I I don't really know. Okay. Okay. And what is that? Do they have a name for the grip? I, I see this more in Greco-Roman Roman, where it's just the hands gripping each other. Because in our house, we call that the complicated waist hold. <laughs> when you see, well, they used to call it a clinch back in the Corral okay. when Rulon Gardner beat Corral and the rule set was different. And you, you locked around each other and they call it a clinch. 
that position just basically is more an over under body lock or, okay. you know, it's, it's, it's something where you're just jockeying for position. It's not a forced position anymore. Okay. All right. Well, complicated waist hold still makes it sound really complicated good. Waist, or as Neil deGrasse Tyson, <laughs> uh, the, the famed astrophysicist, astro, whatever he is, the super smart guy, mm-hmm. he wrestled in college. At oh, Harvard, really? And he actually was, he did a video with my buddy Zeb Miller one time down in New York. And it's like, yeah, I had this thing I wanted to call the double title lock. And he kind of went this over under tie on, on my buddy Zeb. And he actually explained it in a video somewhere else using double title lock. Uh, but yeah, the, 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 the complicated waist hold, I mm-hmm. might try Let's see if I can <laughs> enter that. Cause I, I tried to bring thunder flap into the vernacular and that is a situation actually was joking about it on another podcast previous to Rio is the towel flapping you'll see in the corner mm-hmm. coaches will do this towel flap and they will like, I don't know why it, it just, it's a thing in international wrestling. I call it the thunder flap. I'm trying to get that. To break <laughs> so watch the thunder flap. Sometimes it'll come in and spread out wide or sometimes it's a pop. Sometimes it's just a wave and you know, they'll do the, the arm shaking out stuff. So those are the things I like to keep an eye out too. I have some backpedaling questions. So one of the things I forgot to ask, and I noticed this more in Greco Roman, but maybe, maybe it's in freestyle too, where you talked about defending. So you get, you know, maybe there's a stop and play, and then one ha- guy has to get on hands and knees, and the other is upright. What is that? That position is called parterre, which I believe translates from French, which means ground. Uh, I usually make a joke at saying parterre is is a French word that means completely ridiculous. No, but <laughs> you know that's just that's just me being being playful here. But the the ground action, there's no more forced parterre. What it used to be is they would go through. And the rules have changed on this, and they're kind of waffling on this. So we may see it back one year. It might be gone the next. Is the top and bottom position parterre is uh, the action. Once you go to the mat and take somebody down, you're in that parterre position. You have about 15, 20 seconds to try to score something there. Turn your opponent, institute some leg laces, whatever you got to do. Maybe even try to pin them from there. And if not, the action comes back to their feet. They don't put them down there anymore unless uh, somebody's on their back going out of bounds and there's a caution from the parterre situation where you're you you grab the fingers or you you commit a penalty while you're in that bottom position then they will put you back down there okay. but for, for now what they have now is basically no forced parterre they're not putting you there unless you do something while you're already down there okay that makes sense then in qualifying you mentioned that countries qualify for the different weight classes because i just read an article about an indian guy who did really well at the asian games that are going on right now and he had been crushed because he couldn't qualify for Rio or couldn't go to Rio because his country didn't qualify for that weight class. So how does that work? Well, what's interesting is now there are six weight classes for men's freestyle, six weight classes for Greco, six weight classes for women. Prior to there was eight, eight and four oh, wow. or seven, seven and four. So the women got two weights. Now, this has also provided some uh controversy from some of the less progressive uh, wrestling folks out there in nations who will blame the women for taking their spots. Well, okay. sorry, guy. Hey, guess what? You want wrestling in the Olympics? The women have to be involved because if it was only men, you, we would not be right. in there. Gender equity is not just a U.S. Title IX thing, folks. This is There are professional sports leagues in other countries that don't even have a Title IX. So it is, it is something the IOC pays attention to gender equity. But in international wrestling, there were eight now, the last year they they brought in two non-Olympic weights okay. uh, because they cut them down to six. Now they're at 10. So this year we'll be going to Budapest with 10 international weights per style. They will cut that to six in the Olympic year. So in I'm, I'm, I'm assuming it's probably Bajrang Punia is who, who you're referring to. 
uh, from the Indian wrestler who just won the uh, Asian Games. He was probably at a non-Olympic weight class. Okay. Or he, he tried to drop to a weight class and you didn't qualify. Now, to qualify, I guess that's the part of your question. One, you have to be in a medal match the previous year at the World Championships. And because, like like other combat sports, wrestling does have a double bronze. You'll see right. this, I think, in judo and fencing. I think in taekwondo, uh, boxing might have it as well. If I'm wrong, you know, please correct me. Mm-hmm. But uh, So there's a double bronze. So you, your gold, your silver, your bronze, your bronze, and your, your two-fifths. Those nations have qualified for the Olympic Games in a year before. So in 2019 World Championships in Astana, Kazakhstan, <laughs> those six weight classes that are Olympic weights, the wrestlers who place in the top, you know, five, I'm going to use that number loosely, mm-hmm. uh, will qualify their nations. And then there are a number of continental qualifiers. And they've trimmed back the number of entries. This was kind of a, a sticking point where they added, like, some BMX events or something. It's like mm-hmm. they took stuff from wrestling. Well, what they did was they made it uniform. They made it 16 wrestlers per weight class. So you've got those six. And then you've got your continental qualifiers. So your Pan American, mm-hmm. your African and Oceania, they don't put Oce- Oceania has its own qualifier for or its own continental championship for the world years, mm-hmm. but there's no depth there. So they've combined it with the African qualifier for the Olympic years. Then you have the Asian qualifier and then you have the European qualifier. So top two, I believe at the Pan Ams and the Africans go, I think the, the Asians and the Europeans are a little deeper, so they might go top three. Uh, that that depends on the year. And then they will have a number of qualification, last chance qualification tournaments. So if you are not qualified, so if Russia has 20 uh, of 19 of the weights qualified and there's they won't enter their their guys at the last chance qualifiers, for example, they'll only be countries that have not yet qualified compete in those last chance qualifiers. So uh, you, you can you either second or third, depending on uh, the level, like uh, when Jaden Cox had to go through, he had to go to Mon- he had to get a passport after he won the spot. And then go to Mongolia to try to qualify the spot. Wow. <laughs> and he went through and, went and he won it. A couple of years ago, you know, in 2012, Sean Bunch had to, he didn't even compete in the Olympic trials because he had to go to Mongolia to qualify. He fin- had to finish top three and he finished third to qualify the spot, then come back and do a wrestle off to, to see who's going to represent the U.S. At, in, in London. So uh, the qualifications is basically previous placement. And each country, it's up to them on how they decide their team. In the United States, uh, the Olympic trials has been, uh, you know, you have a mini tournament, you challenge tournament, and then you go through, and the winner of the trials process is the, what's the word? It's it's the applicant, or is it the, because it's not, you don't actually make the Olympic team winning the trials. It's you're, you're the candidate, I think, is what they have okay. to do. Yeah, the candidate process in the, in the USOC, usually pretty much rubber stamps those, so. Uh, that's the process. Each country, it's different on how they qualify. So just because Jordan Burroughs is the reigning world champion at 74 kilos does not mean he himself has qualified for the Olympic Games. It's whoever wins, you know, if he places high enough to qualify the United States, well, the United States has to fight for that spot and who represents there. So, wow. Yeah. Do, okay. So if the Olympics has fewer weight classes than the world championships does, how do they do, are they consistent with what weight classes they choose? Yes, they have. They basically uh, it's almost like an every other thing. So they've changed the weight classes a couple times. Let me go pull up my international weights because they because they're different for freestyle and Greco and women. Okay. They're all different weights. So freestyle, it's not like you have 57, 57 in kilos here because we're. Uh, we're international. Uh, you know, us Americans right. haven't figured out that the metric system actually makes more sense. <laughs> Men's freestyle are 10 international weights are 57, 61, 65, 70, 74, 79, 86, 92, 97, 
and 125. So of those, wow. the Olympic weights are 57, 65, 74, 86, 97, and 125. So basically every other with okay. the exception of the last two weights. So that's how they decide. Greco, it's similar, and women is similar. So okay. they basically said, okay, you've got to go up or down with these tweener weights. But they still hold world championships in those years. So Interesting. So what do you see wrestlers tend to do? Do they try to go down because then they're more muscular or do they go up? It's so, I mean, you see, it's probably six of one, half dozen of the other. Okay. I mean, uh, James Green, for example, who's a world silver medalist at 70 kilos, his last Olympic cycle, you know, he had, he had won a medal in 15. He was a bronze medalist in 15 at 70 kilos, tried to go down to 65 and was not nearly as effective. He goes up to 74. His training partner, a guy named Jordan Burroughs, who's won, mm -hmm. well, you know, some world Olympic yeah. titles. He's kind of pretty good. So, you know, where is his best chance to win? The guy that he's got to go get bigger to wrestle against that he trains with every day? Or can he try to go smaller? Uh, there's going to be wrestlers like Jaden Cox, who really struggled to make 86 kilos in Rio and, and at the World Championships last year. And now 92 was put into place this year. Perfect for him. He's still getting adjusted to it. But now, he does he go up? And try to wrestle Kyle Snyder, who's won the last three World Olympic titles. You know, 15, 16, 17, Kyle Snyder's been number one in the world. Does he try to go up or does he try to go back down where he made the spot at 86? So it's really, you start seeing that, we'll probably start seeing that in 2019. Guys that okay. either need to shrink their body, um, guys and girls, excuse me, that need to, to shrink their body to go down a weight or go up or, or bulk up to, to, to get a weight because they need to be, you know, at these international competitions to get these feel because internationally some of the cuts are pretty rough in the United mm -hmm. States. You do a pretty good job of it. But what's also interesting is the the weigh ins are different now because you're weighing in the same day. OK. And you used to weigh in day before. So, oh, yeah, you some of those do extreme a lot weight of cuts like you, you've seen at the UFC too. the yeah. the extreme weight cuts. They're trying to get rid of that. So okay. it's going to make it real interesting with the six weights in in, in 2020 for sure. Thank you so much, Jason. Check out his podcasts at matttalkonline.com. That's Matt with one T, talkonline.com. And wherever you listen to podcasts, you can follow him on Facebook at matttalkonline. And on Twitter, he is Jason M. Bryant. So Jason was a lot of fun to talk to. He was very fun to oh listen to. He had such a fantastic voice. He does, right? I mean, you just clearly, want to listen to it forever. <laughs> I did. I was like, oh, the tape's over already? I need to listen to that again. He had a very soothing voice. I guess I expect, you know, my only exposure to wrestling mm -hmm. is professional wrestling. Oh, really? Oh, you, I you have, have to get the, get the to YouTube and watch some Rulon Gardner. I and know. Alexander I've heard Rulon Gardner, and, and, but I've never really, you know, I didn't have wrestling in high school it just wasn't a thing yeah yeah you know certainly not at my high school because I went to an all-girls school and there were no girls wrestling back then but more importantly even in our area it there are most schools don't have wrestling teams oh that's really interesting because wrestling was big where I grew up of course there was high school wrestling and they had wrestling cheerleaders I'm not what? kidding you yes we had wrestling cheerleaders if you didn't make nope. a basketball team you often went to wrestling although some people some girls really wanted to do wrestling only for cheerleading. So this cheer squad? Yes. Wow. I only went to like one wrestling match, so I barely remember. But they'd stand on the side of the mat and they'd cheer, you know. Wow. I know. It is, to me, it's kind of a bizarre concept. But, but the, the one thing I do love about wrestling is the name of I love Greco-Roman. I love how that sounds. It, <laughs> it sounds like 
I guess it sounds so Olympic. Like, of course, the Olympics has Greco-Roman wrestling. Right, right. But yes, he was great at explaining it. And it did make me interested. To me, it's always just very large men throwing each other around. You know, that's the image I have in my head. Oh, okay. Yeah. But it is at all. No, no. It's a lot of strength. And it's a lot of like sheer will and brute force kind of against each other who is taking down whom and honestly you do you got i will put this in the show notes you got to go back and watch the i believe it's sydney where rulon gardner defeats alexander corellin and it is a shocker because corellin hadn't lost in years and years and years and rulon took him down and then after that what you do is go and find the olympics where he retired and then you just start crying oh because it makes me tear up right now because when they (laughs) retire they leave their shoes on the mat they take their shoes, they sit down and they, oh, take, they take off their shoes and they leave them in the mat and they walk away. It is, oh, it is so that. touching. Yes. And I think we'll talk about that again. Jason's going to be back on the show a, a couple more times because he'll talk about his announcing and we talked about Rio and um, that's really exciting. And we also talked about, uh, if you remember wrestling before Rio, maybe a couple of years before Rio, almost got kicked out of the games because there were issues. And he went into detail and explained how that worked. So oh, we'll have excellent. That. Yeah, it's really a fascinating story because you would thought when wrestling almost got the boot, to me it was like, how, how dare you think to take one of the original sports out? And like one of the original ancient sports out. Wrestling was so key to the ancient games. It's Greco-Roman. Right. And then it would have just been that out. Then it just would have been Greco. And that's just not right. Right. That's what you would think. But the, it was actually a really good thing. So it, that okay, story good. is just fascinating. It was a really good wake up call for the sport. And when he explained what was going on, I couldn't believe some of the stuff that was happening. Like the the rules and how they would play things was, is just mind blowing. So okay, we'll just hold that. Yes, I hold know. that thought. So, yes, we'll have it on in in, in it'll be a few weeks because we don't want to be all wrestling all the time. That's not <laughs> us. That's Jason. He's at matttalkonline.com. But we yep. do we do watch some wrestling in our house, of course, because we do uh, enjoy that. Ben enjoys all the the fighting sports a lot. I was going to so. say, there's a lot of fighting that, that gets observed in your house. <laughs> there is. I don't know. Is that it? I don't know. You know what I think it is? I think it's because you're, you're so Midwestern and, and you just keep it all to yourself. So you watch the fighting. See, and then in we my practice house, the fighting. We're Italian, <laughs> yeah, we're Italian American, so we just fight ourselves. <laughs> so we get it all out so we don't need to watch the fighting. I see. I, see. I think that's the difference. Perhaps. Perhaps. But that was really cool. It was really exciting to learn. There actually is some wrestling coming up. There's uh, the World Junior, Ch- the UWW World Junior Championships is coming up September uh, 17th through the 23rd. And that is in uh, Slovakia, I believe. Oh, the World Championships. Actually, the World Championships is coming up next month. It'll be at the end of October from the 20th through the 28th. And that will be in Budapest. So we will keep an eye out. This will be a nice little primer for you. Yes, I'm, I'm excited. excited. So, yes, we will keep an eye out for the World Championships, and hopefully they'll be online somewhere so we can watch and keep you up to date and let you know what, what Jason is up to. All right, moving on to our Tokyo 2020 update. So there's not a ton to report on, but the World Equestrian Games is going on right now, and the World Equestrian Games is huge. I 
started diving into it a little bit earlier this year, maybe about a month ago, because uh, some friends have been telling me about it. I have some friends in, into horses and they said, oh, the World Equestrian Games is coming up. It's a big deal. And like saying it's a big deal is an understatement because it next to the Olympics, it's like actually it's probably bigger than the Olympics for them because it encompasses a lot more disciplines. But this is also an event that is held like every four years. Okay. And it's held on the even year, the even off years from the Olympics. From the Olympics, yes. Okay. Yes. So this is one of the qualifying events for Tokyo 2020. And Tokyo will have dressage and eventing and jumping. And teams have qualified for dressage already. And that would be Germany, the United States, Great Britain, Sweden, the Netherlands, Spain have qualified. And uh, Australia also qualified because it would be like them and Japan from, uh, they, they divide countries into different groups. And I think that's a geographical designation. Okay, so that makes I sense. Went, yeah, and Japan automatically gets in because they're the host nation. So uh, right. Australia is the only other nation from their group participating in dressage. So they're all going. So that is taken care of. In eventing, Japan, of course, gets to go. And qualifying are Great Britain, Ireland, France, Germany, Australia, and New Zealand. So oh. we are still, they are still having some more qualifying events. The games actually runs through the 23rd. And I believe there's some, some stuff is probably online. And actually, I think NBC in the US, NBC is putting on a bunch of it on their family of channels. Oh, nice. So that is also something to look for. I have to say, it's been very interesting how as we've been getting into these different sports with handball with dressage and i saw with baseball and softball how far in advance the countries right. have to start qualifying it's amazing i know baseball and softball have started this fall right to do the country qualifying and i never thought about it except in i knew it in gymnastics that you know only a certain number of countries get in and it's based on the previous year's world championships you know, for the country right, event. Right. But it never occurred to me that this happens any sport that has country teams, not every country that wants to send a team can. Yeah, it's really They have weird. to qualify yeah. for that sport. Right. So it just, I don't know why it never occurred to me, but it's so interesting that two years out, many of these athletes may or may not be on the team that actually goes right but it they're the ones determining whether anybody from the country can go right that's what i thought about with softball is with all these women like what what happens if there's an injury like oh you made the games great for you and same here with with uh, the equestrian like you and your horse made the games but what if something happens to you or the horse or you know it doesn't matter i guess right because you know, that, uh, that and team, what that spot not... is there Right. And what if you're not the best in two years in your country? You're, you as an individual are not guaranteed the spot on the team. Right. Even though you earned the spot for the country. Yeah, that's just kind of mind blowing. Yeah. So it just made me realize how much it's not just about a person pursuing his or her athletic best. There's so much more politics to it in a way yeah 
I would say politics and luck. And, and luck. Yeah, I mean, it's um, we talk about kind of the Olympics being the end-all, be-all, and that's because it only happens every four years. So it's very rare. So there are so many things that are out of somebody's control on whether or not they get to the games. Right, so. and just like with the Japanese athletes, there's going to be so many more Japanese athletes who have a chance on 2020 because they're the host country right. that would never have gotten to compete in other, and I mean, that's part of the deal. When you host, you get that benefit. But if you just happen to be the right age in the right year, right. when your country happens to host. Yeah, you have a you, shot, a better you shot. You have a shot that you wouldn't have had otherwise. Right. And when you think of like LA getting the games 13 years before they host, right. you know, and now it's down to 10. Well, like what they got it maybe 12 years 12, 12 but years. but it's yeah. now 10 years away so you're talking about really being able to look at the youth sports and trying to develop them okay so we're gonna have shots in all these sports we gotta pick a sport we could be like the <laughs> oldest competitors but there's extra shots because it'll be for the American team <laughs> handball i don't know i would learn from sarah i'm too short for handball you can duck you duck under people oh i mean because it's not like basketball where you have to heave a basket a ball into a basket in the air like that net is on the ground the goal is on the ground oh yeah i'd be like what was this i'd be like the spud web yeah (laughs) i was just thinking the same thing like who's that little girl yeah it might be it it might be oh. i don't know we'll have to look we'll have to keep looking yeah. or you could do uh rhythmic gymnastics i'm not tall i'm not tall enough for rhythmic gymnastics how tall do, do they how tall are those girls okay they are generally a little bit taller than the artistic gymnasts right so they'll be in the five three five but they're um, I know they're long. really long and they're built more like ballerinas. Okay. Whereas artistic gymnasts. Trampoline. What about trampoline? I think I get sick to my stomach. Okay. Yeah. Bouncing isn't good. I think, I think if I did trampoline, I would just start giggling while I was doing <laughs> mid routine. Cause I do that. Why? <laughs> Why? Oh my gosh. This is so fun. I think I would get dizzy. I think I'd get style points for that. Isn't that part of I don't know. Okay, well, we've got time. And maybe, yeah. well, here's the other thing. Maybe we figure out what sports are trying to get in. Or and what sports don't have too many Americans. That That is the hard part. Yeah. That is the very hard part. Badminton, maybe. No, they're mean in badminton. They know, whack hard. each other with those shuttlecocks. It's hard. And that's fast. But I don't know. And and I'm neither of those things. Shooting. I think we're down to shooting. Okay. I, I can shoot things, I think. No. Well, as long as they give me a wide berth. Like, I wouldn't want to do anything where I'd have to shoot standing too close to anybody else. I wouldn't want to hurt them. <laughs> a lot of times I think you're on your own. It's you yeah. in the little shooting area. Okay. Kim Brody, I'm coming for you. Yeah, I know. Because she, I, honest to Pete, 10 years has got to be nothing for her. I'm sure she's yeah. going to be going for, like, Olympics number 12. Love her. She is amazing. Yeah. So, 
All right, moving on. We have a lot of Team Olympic Fever updates this week. Tofu! Yes, that's right. We have a big slice of tofu for you. First off, Nick Cunningham, one of our bobsledder team members, is hanging up his bobsledding spikes, and he is going to join the coaching staff of USA Bobsled's development team, and he'll also be going back to his home in Monterey, California, to coach track and field. So he's going to be he's gonna a fantastic coach. Isn't he? Oh, my gosh. Um, he's actually, he said in two years he'll reevaluate whether he wants to take another run at 2022. But he's going to be coaching from now. But then he's then if he goes back, he's going to have to shave off his fantastic beard. That's okay. Which I love. <laughs> but he's going to be, oh, my God. Coach Cunningham. I know, he's gonna right? Do so he I'm is so gonna excited be great. for him. Yeah, so... And then our speed skater, Aaron Jackson, just competed at the Long Track Desert Classic 2018 at the Utah Olympic Oval. And in the, this is long track speed skating. So in the 500 meters, she finished fourth out of 13 with a time of 40.21. And that was 1.12 seconds behind the winner. And then in the 1000 meters, she finished fifth out of 15 with a time of 125.02. And that was 5.89 seconds behind the winner. So not bad. Not bad on that. No. I don't think so. You know, you know, getting back onto the ice after probably right. a little bit little bit of time off. So that's good. This weekend, I think she's going to compete with Jacksonville Roller Derby's uh, New Jack City Rollers at the WFTDA playoffs in Atlanta for Roller Derby. Jacksonville is actually their seeded number three. So they have a good chance to get the championships. So I'm very excited for her. Excellent. So... And then this is super exciting news, right? I saw this yes. and I got so just looking at the post. Right, right. Jimmy Pedro, our judo tofu member, is the first ever American judoka to be inducted into the International Judo Hall of Fame. And that is such a big deal. And they had a big celebration and commemoration in Baku, Azerbaijan, because that's where the world judo champs are. And that's super amazing. I mean, and, and so well-deserved. Absolutely. That's, oh, and my then, gosh. Okay, so it's the night of he's getting this award, and do mm-hmm. you know what he posts a picture of? No, what? His wife. Because it was her birthday. Aww. I'm like, as if you couldn't be any more wonderful, this huge night for you, and you're saying it's all because of his beautiful wife. Oh, that is so nice. I know, which is why he totally deserves it, and we're so excited for him. And yeah, that was it. That did it choked me up a little bit? I was kind of. I'm like, Aww. oh my god. Yeah, that that is really amazing and so well deserved. So I I know that the world champs is uh, online, so we're gonna put those links up too. I gotta find, I dig them out, but we'll make sure you know how to watch those judo champs. I'm going to try to tune in now that we've learned I know, more now about that judo. We know I know. A little now bit that more I get it. Exactly. And I want to look for him. Yeah, see if you see him in the stands and stuff. Or exactly. Coaching. Yeah, right. Well, would he be on, like, are they allowed to have their coach with them when they're competing? I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah, like we, we saw Emily Cook at the top of the hill. Right, right. That was... our, our, our freestyle skier. <laughs> so I kind of awesome. want to see if we see Jimmy. Yeah. So, and don't forget, we have book club going on. And Book Club Claire reached out to me and said, I hope you've been able to take some time to read Lopez Lemong's amazing book, which is called Running for My Life. 
one lost boy's journey from the killing fields of Sudan to the Olympic Games. And and I got mine is on order with the library because there are holds placed on it. It's a popular book. I will tell that tell you that to you. Yes, I, I have not started it. Either. So yes, so I will get there. Clara said his early life is such an eye-opening experience, and it's incredible to think that this kind of experience is still taking place to so many children in Africa. So we will have that on soon, likely sometime in October. I think we're going to try to to do our next book club wrap up, but we will keep you posted on that. And if you would like an a free download from Audible to get the audio version of the book. You can go to audibletrial.com slash olimfever. And if you sign up for an account there, they will give you a free download, which you can use for running for my life. Excellent. So in other Olympic news. Sad, sad week for you. I had my heart broken, mayor of Milan. The three-city Italian Olympic bid for 2026 is dead. I'm very sorry to hear that. Milan was a problem and wasn't playing nice with the other two cities. No. So So there is some discussion that Torino and Cortina may try to put together a two-city bid, but the problem is they've only got a couple weeks. Oh, that's right. The the deadline's coming up. Yeah, the deadline is like October, November. Right. So I don't think they're going to be able to pull it off, but... You, you never know, know. I'll, so... I'll hold out a little hope for my Cortina. Well, we will keep hoping for that. They're down to three cities now for... If 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 Italy has nothing to bid, they're down to Stockholm and Calgary, and um, it's going to bother me because it's a, it's a city in Turkey, which... Oh, the same city in Turkey that, right, keeps, that keeps bidding. Right, Right, which I don't think is a realistic bid because of just world situation and probably yeah their ability to build stadiums in time well i so, think stockholm and and calgary would both be lovely options i do too i think they would be nice and, and stockholm's never had a winter games so yeah. that would be cool bring them back to scandinavia but the swedes have a king and queen so right. so is it be... yes so it's interesting we'll find out yeah. next month who gets We'll find out next month who gets to move forward. And it's funny to see all of the bid news because, of course, it's all gloom and doom because yet another city has dropped out. And it just does the the cycling of the games are too expensive. You're getting nobody to bid for these games. But how many cities do you want at the end? Really? I don't know. It's. I mean, it's a good question. Do, does even the IOC mind that it's only down to two or three? I'm sorry. I keep thinking it's two, but. I think they would like to go back to the old days where you've got, you know, five, six cities, because then you've got the whole world watching the selection. That makes And sense. it just keeps it more interesting mm-hmm. in off years. That's true. That's very true. But. Oh, and Sapporo also dropped out. They they dropped out of 2026, and that, that's another city that I kept forgetting was in the 2026 race. because You know why? Because I didn't think it was even fathomable to think that they, could ho- that they would get the win because it would have been Pyeongchang, Beijing, Sapporo. Sapporo, yeah. And I know they did it in the old days, but I don't think they would have three winter games in Asia in a row. 
And it would be four games in a row because of Tokyo. Four right. well, Asian well, games in a row. Well, it would be, you'd have Paris in there too. Because that's 2024 and this would be 2026. Oh, that's true. So you'd have one European games, but you still, yeah, like three out of four coming from Asia. I, I just yeah. don't think the way the world is now, I just don't think that's realistic to think. So they're yeah. going to push their bid back to 2030 because one of the reasons they dropped out is there was a massive earthquake up there and they need to uh, put some money into rebuilding from that. Yeah. So that's from a plus are doing a big high speed rail project that that is tentatively scheduled to be done by 2031, but they're hoping to get it done in time for 2030. So they would be going up right now, we know, against Salt Lake City, although word on the street is that maybe to get more people in the bid, they tap it and see if Salt Lake City could do 2026. Hmm. Which is okay. likely, you know, that's possible. They've got the venues. They probably yeah. need a little, they'll need a little sprucing up, but not, not much. They still use everything. Mitt Romney's still around. He'll come back and save it. <laughs> you know, I had a really good steak. I had a really good steak dinner in Salt Lake City, and well, that's what you need and a watch. I know. I wonder if they. I wonder if they took IOC members there because, like, they had famous people's names on the wall. If they had eaten there a lot, and Bob Costas had been there. Well, there you go. I know. And he didn't get pink eye in Salt Lake City. No, poor guy. <sighs> poor Bob. Anyhow. But that is the other Olympic news that is going on. And that really, if, that's all I got today. I mean, we've had I a lot. I think that's we've quite had a lot. lot. It is a lot of a show. I think on that note, we shall take our leave. Next week, next week, Allison, big week for us, because you know what that is. I, I do. It's our first anniversary. Oh, I guess that made me the husband in this relationship because I forgot. <laughs> no, next year we'll be celebrating our first anniversary. It will be episode number 52. That's so exciting. It's exciting that we've lasted a year and had fun and gotten. And it's so for first anniversary is wood or paper? Well, I got plenty of paper that I've got notes on. I know. And I'm like, how can we work this in? So if anybody has some good ideas for me, for what I can get for Jill for our first anniversary, <laughs> wood or paper, let me know. So you can let yeah. us know. Drop us a line at uh, info at olimfever.com. You can also call our voicemail line if you are so inclined. That's 530-70-FEVER. Again, that's 530 and we are Olim Fever on all of the major socials, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Time to celebrate. Very excited. Since I forgot, I'll go get you flowers at the train station. <laughs> you can just send me a picture of a flower. That's fine. <laughs> Excellent. Alrighty. Well, thank you so much for listening, everyone. And we will catch you back here next week with more Olympic stories. And in the meantime, keep the flame alive. We love to hear from you. Email us at info at olimfever.com or leave us a voicemail at 530-763-3837. That's 530-70-FEVER. You can also interact with us on social. We're Olimfever on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, keep the flame alive. 
get thee to YouTube and watch some Rulon Gardner.